when we were in prayer before service, everyone was saying I looked like a caged lion as I was walking back and forth, and that's because I've been waiting all week to share this with you. And in fact, I started last week, and we got about 10% of the way through my introduction, and I ran out of your attention. And so let's see how far we can make it today. But before we get into the Word, i got a couple things I want to make you aware of. I feel like Gloria Copeland. i got so much paper up here. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> we were watching her this week in the old sermon. She was up there like eight Bibles on her pulpit. And, uh, but I'm doing some things that I want to help you, and we're really doing a lot of things on our website. So if you don't visit the website very often, you really ought to. And one of the things that we're making available to you, and it looks a whole lot better than this on your tablets, is we have a uh, digital church bulletin, and you can print it out at your convenience. And especially once we get into our new facility and we launch all of the ministries that we're going to be doing, you'll really need to know this. So that's available to you on our website. Just go to the home page, and you'll see it right there on the bottom left. And then this is something new we're doing. We've For a long time, we've been putting our sermon outlines. and um, But I realize the sermon outline really does not convey to you everything that I do during the week to put together a message. Um, you know, I, and I'm saying this, I don't want empty applause, and I'm not searching, I'm not fishing for compliments. I do that to Deborah, but I don't do it to you. Um, <clears throat> you know... Um, and I say this with all sincerity, so I'm not trying to, it's not empty modesty. You know, I, I realize there's a lot of things I lack. You know, um, I'm not the most charismatic, um, never been the best looking, most athletic, not even the most intelligent, and I'm certainly not the best communicator. But there is one thing I've got going for me that has never waned. I have an unwavering, unyielding, insatiable hunger for the presence of God. That is one thing I can say that I don't, I, I yearn for him. As the psalmist said, as the deer panteth for the water. I yearn for him and I desire him above all else. And so uh, years ago, and we'll get into the message here shortly, but years ago I had a vision, a dream in the night. And in this vision... I was standing in front of a building that was burning. It was totally engulfed in flames. And that building housed all of my earthly possessions. I knew it in the dream that that was everything I owned. And I was watching it completely engulfed in flames. And there was a big crowd watching it burn. And suddenly I ran into the inferno. And in the vision I disappeared into the flames. And it appeared that I had been lost. And then I come running back out of the flames and I was clutching to my chest the Bible. And the crowd looked at me when I ran back out of the flames and they said, you ran in to the fire to save that? And in the dream, I looked at them and I said, if I lose everything, but I have this, I've lost nothing. Amen. But if I lose this, then truly I've lost everything. And I had that dream almost 40 years ago, and it's still with me. So the reason I'm saying that is this. When I stand up here, I am not trying to impress you. I want to impress upon you the Word. And so one of the things to help do that is I'm putting together this sermon study guide. And since I'm always late in getting the sermons, I'll get it to Jaleesa really, really late. Uh, so you might find it up there unedited. Don't worry about the grammar. Look at the seed, the truth. But I'm putting this together so that when a thought becomes a series, you have more than just the sermon outline. You have all of my references. You, you'll, have, you'll know what books I refer to to get the truth out because trust me, I don't just sit down and come up with something and I don't watch YouTube and copy people. I actually have a library of books that I go to. Because I want to make sure that what I'm preaching to you was preached 200 years ago. Amen. If it wasn't preached by them back then, you know, that's, a lot of people think the grace message is new. Grace message isn't new. Charles Spurgeon preached it 150 years ago. Yes. The word of faith message isn't new. It's what Paul preached. Yes. 
And so this sermon study guide will be much more exhaustive than what I present to you on a Sunday morning. It'll be all of my, you know, if I reference a book, it'll be in there. If I uh, reference a certain website, it'll be in there. And so this, you can keep these, download these. And if the Lord interrupts me on a Sunday or a Saturday morning and gives me something new, then we'll just go back to the sermon outline. But when a thought becomes a sermon, I'm going to do my best to make sure that's up there on the website for you each and every week. Amen. So I would encourage you to make use of that. Um, that's what Rick Renner has done for me for years. And most of my libraries copied his library because I found out what books he was using. And I went and bought the silly books because I know Rick ain't smarter than me. He just looks like it. And uh, he just has better books than I got. But not now because I got all the books he's got. And I want you to have all the books I got. But you ain't getting my books. Because I've loaned books out before and they haven't been brought back. I'll show up at your house. I'll give you my car. I ain't giving you my books. Especially the out-of-print ones. I had to chase someone down a year after I loaned it to him. I was like, hey, remember that book? Well, yeah, I want my book back. Well, I haven't read it. You had a year. <laughs> Amen. You ready? I want to keep talking about living a life that money can't buy. And last week, we started a new series about living a life that money can't buy. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we ought not to engage in business or trade or employment. And I'm not saying that God has designed life so we'll have no money. God don't want you broke. God is a God of more than enough. But what I am saying, and this is both biblical, prophetically true in the Bible, but it's also true if we'll listen to economists who know what they're talking about, that there will come a day when our money will lose its value. Those who study economics will understand this when I say that we have what's known as fiat money, meaning it's not money backed by anything real, it's backed by debt. In fact, if you look at a dollar bill, it's called a promissory note, and it's called a promissory note because the only value to it is the promise of a politician. That tells you how much it's worth. It's, it's as corrupt as the people who design it. And it will fail because everything designed by men will fail. So all I'm trying to do in these next several weeks is to position ourselves, align ourselves, so that when that which the whole world trusts in fails, and it falls, because even the Master said there will come a day it will fail and it will fall, we, the church of the living God, don't need to fall with it. Right? Because the Bible does say, y'all familiar with this? We are in the world. That ain't just spiritual. That means literally we are in a world that the world is not our source. It's not our source of joy. It's not our source of strength. It's not our source of power. It's not our source of life. It's not our source of prosperity. But we need to learn to align ourselves. And I said this to you last week. The first step into the supernatural is always natural. If we're afraid of making that first step, we'll never arrive into the arena of the supernatural. And there is coming a day, and we all want it to not be our day, but it's going to come someday. And I think it's kind of selfish that we think, no, I don't want it to collapse on my watch. Let it collapse when my children grow up. Now, if that's the case, we better train our children so that they're prepared because it's it's inevitable so we want to prepare for it now and i shared with you last week that in in proverbs it says that you know if you're a wise man and you see danger down the road you don't just keep walking into it and pretending it ain't there that's not faith faith is the recognition there's danger in the road but i serve a god who looked ahead before the foundation of the world he knew that line was going to be there waiting on me before that line was even born so all I need to know is what does the God want me to do right here, right now, when I'm walking down the path and there's a lion in the road? God knows perfectly well the day the economy will tank. And he's preparing us now. I shared with you a story some years ago how my wife and I went to Istanbul, Turkey, and I told you about how I paid a quarter of a million to use the toilet. Silence. The day before we arrived in Istanbul, a can of Coca-Cola would have cost five lira. That's the Turkish money, lira, L-I-R-A. The day before we arrived there, Steve, it was five lira. 
The day we got there, it was 50,000 lira. In one night, a can of Coca-Cola went from five to $50,000. That was a non-traumatic event for us. It was inconvenient because the ATM would only give us so much money, but it really wasn't devastating. And you want to know why? Because my source was not Turkish. I was in Turkey, but the source of my income was not Turkish. So I could be in the country and not really affected. But now imagine if my whole income and my savings and my checking was all Turkish. Then what would have happened? What if the night before all I had was 50,000 lira? That was my total savings. Well, the day the economy tanked, my whole net worth was a can of Coca-Cola. Will it happen in America? Absolutely. Absolutely, it will. That's not doom and gloom. It's recognition that we're, we're in a system made by men. Let me rephrase. Made by corrupt men for corrupt men. And if a corrupt man forms a plan, then that means that plan is corrupt. So when the economy tanks, we don't want to tank with it. What are we going to do? And I had to look this up because my wife has weaned me of soft drinks, unless I can sneak one in every once in a while. <laughs> Verner's is my choice, just so you know. I had to look it up. The can of Coca-Cola still costs approximately 50 cents. You can buy at Wally World a six-pack for $3.50. What would you and I do if tomorrow that same six-pack cost $35,000? What are you going to do? We better have a source outside of the natural. This is the reason why I said to you last week, we need to learn how to live supernaturally now. Because you don't want to wait until it costs $35,000 for a six-pack to learn how to live supernaturally. Brother Hagen used to always tell us, you don't want to wait till you're sick to know that Jesus is the healer. You want to be well-versed in the, that, that Jesus Christ is your healer before the doctor gives you a terminal diagnosis. Amen? Hallelujah, Father. So this, this is really the, 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 the crux of what I want to share with you. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. And I'm going to try to get through more than 10% of it today. There's 10 steps. I'm hoping to at least give you the five. And trust me, I had to crucify some rabbits last night because there's a lot of places we could be running to. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. This is the, what Paul said. Listen to this. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Now, I've already told you I, I value the word and I won't change the word, but I want to do something here because rich is such a relative word. It's easy to read that and divorce ourselves from it because we don't think of ourselves as rich. And if we were to compare ourselves to Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, then I would dare say everyone in here is impoverished. Now, if you're up at that level, help us find our building. But chances are, most of us compared to them would would be poor but now if we were to keep our same standing and compare ourselves to someone in the slums of Calcutta or living in the trash heaps of Nicaragua Ragua, down there then we're pretty rich you following me so rich is a relative term because it's compared to who compared to them no compared to them yes so let me reread this. Are y'all here this morning? Yes, sir. Instruct those who are in this present world. Just get rid of the disqualifier. Instruct those who are in this present world. Is that you? Yes, sir. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Yeah. One translation says on the un unreliableness of money. 
don't fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly, now get this, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So the Bible is not endorsing poverty. It's not saying the antidote is poverty. It's saying the antidote is focus. Don't focus on the unreliableness of riches and think that because you reached a mark that you always shot for that now everything's going to be okay and that what you ought to do at this point is build a bigger barn so you can store what you've, what you've reaped because there was another one in the Bible. Is this okay? There was another one in the Bible who did that and the Lord called them a fool. Because if we're trusting in something that's unreliable, then our hope is always going to be fickle. So what Paul said is instruct those who are in this present world to fix their hope on something and someone that is reliable. Now this someone will richly, everyone say richly. He'll richly supply all things to enjoy, but what he supplies is reliable and not fickle, and it won't go away, and when the economy tanks, it won't dissipate. So it's not that we're saying, hey, y'all, be broke. That's the answer. No, what we're saying is understand this, that what you value now, if you value your net worth, that is subject to change. You could be a millionaire today. And next week, be a pauper. You could have a lot of money in the 401k, and then all it takes is one board to make a bad decision, and that entire savings can dissipate. What are you going to do when the world goes dark? What will we do if the economy tanks? We better have already aligned ourselves that we have our hope in God and God alone. Because he said he'll meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory, not according to who sits in the White House or the Congress or the Senate. And if every business in Greenville files bankruptcy, he still knows how to make manna. He still knows how to send ravens to your door. But we need to have aligned ourselves so that when the natural fails, the supernatural comes through. And that's all this is about. Now let's go ahead and pick up where we left off last week, and I didn't set my timer. Poor you. Isaiah chapter 6. I rebuke myself. You ain't poor. Isaiah chapter 60. Verse 1, this week I want to read it to you out of the Amplified. You ready? Arise. Everyone say arise. Arise. This is what the Lord is saying. It's time to get up. Arise, listen to this, from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. He's saying come up out of your circumstances. Your circumstances have kept you down. Your circumstances have established limits, whether it's your gender, your race, your background, your last name, your no matter where it is or how it is you come from, they've established limits on you and they've kept you down. God says it's time for you to arise, break boundaries, break limits, jump over hurdles, arise from your circumstances to a new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord. Listen to this. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and dense darkness all peoples. But the Lord shall rise upon you, and his glory shall be seen on you. Now verse 3, listen to this. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. See, they're going to see when you break the mold. They're going to see when you arise out of the circumstances, when you're no longer held down by the limits that limited men have placed upon you, when men have said, this is as far as you can go because you didn't graduate from college. This is as far as you can go because you're this gender. This is as far as you can go because you're this race. When you break all those boundaries, that's what's going to attract them. Hold your thumb right there which is going to be hard to do since all of you are doing digitally. But jump with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. 
Because listen to what the master said in relation to what Isaiah had prophesied. The master said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Let me say this. Your good works is your light. How bright we shine is determined by what we're willing to do. See, what a lot of people don't get is we control the flow. This is a reality of, of, of Scripture that the passion of our praise determines the level of our breakthrough. Give and it shall be given unto you. We determine. See, we, well, I, I'm at this level because God ordained me to be at that level. No, no, no. A lot of times what keeps us at this level is fear. I know I dwelled there for over decades. I was one of the ones who would sit there and rant and rave every time a preacher talked about money because all they wanted was my money, which if I'd have put two and two together would have meant they were shooting pretty low because I had none. Right? I heard someone say one time, you know, the best way to make sure no one steals your credit, have poor credit. The best way to make sure you ain't never get mugged is be broke. That no, man, that's like. That's just stupid. But I was one of those ones for years that just would rebel against it because I did not believe I controlled the flow. I believed everything was that God was sovereign and God wanted me broke. And I didn't realize that Jimmy Miller could control the flow. And it's what the master is saying. Let your light shine that they may see your good works. The greater your good works, the greater your light. That's right there. And listen, let me say this to you. It's your light that attracts the masses. Can I chase one rabbit? Only one, I promise, only one. I want to ask you a question. What will draw the masses to the church? I'm glad you're answering that because I've been hammering on it, but most of us instinctively would say signs, wonders, and miracles. That's always what we've been taught, signs, wonders, and miracles. But you know what I did? Is this okay? I mean, let me show you something here. Where is it? Where is it? Come on. I need the anointing of Gloria. Here we go. I went through the scriptures last night and I downloaded and printed every single Bible verse in the New Testament that refers to signs, wonders, and or miracles. And I read every one of them. And I looked. Now, if, if I'm wrong and you can find one verse that says signs, wonders, and miracles will attract the masses, you let me know and I'll stand up publicly and apologize. But if you can't, I won't. I look through every one of these verses, Cleve, and I can see where signs, wonders, and miracles authenticate the message. I can see where signs, wonders, and miracles authenticated the Christ. And I can see where signs, wonders, and miracles will be mimicked and copied by false prophets and will draw many astray. That's what I can see of signs, wonders, and miracles. But Steve, I can't find one verse that says the nations will be drawn to signs, wonders, and miracles. But what I can find right here in Isaiah is this. Nations shall come to your light. Nations will come to your light. Your light is your good works. Now, here is what the spirit of grace is saying. When the world goes into darkness and everything has failed and what everything and everyone they hoped in falls apart and they see a church over here that did not fall when they fell, that did not shut down when the whole world shut down, and when the economy of the world collapses, they're still engaging in good works. They're still feeding the hungry, reaching the lost, clothing the poor. They're still doing all of these things. That's what's going to draw the masses. So what I'm saying to you is this. Never interpre interpret prosperity as singly about pleasure and luxury prosperity is world evangelization prosperity is what's going to attract them that when we have the resources well pastor you don't need resources to do good you ain't never lived on the mission field have you i have known missionaries that had zeal but no money and they moved to a foreign country and could do nothing See, this is why nowhere in the Bible do we have the right to divorce our faith from our finances. 
I don't want to get into this this week. I'll get into it in some weeks to go. But in biblical speech, in, in the study of, of Scripture, you'll find that many times different words are used to convey the same truth or the same meaning or even to describe the same event or person. Different words. And that's not meant to be confusing. It's meant to be a revelation. And many times, even here in Isaiah, you will see where the Lord uses three words interchangeably to talk about that which attracts people, the masses, the kings of the nations to the church. Light, glory, and wealth. Selah, I'm going to let that sink in for a little bit. God said, I'm going to glorify my glorious house. The first word glorify means I'm going to beautify and adorn my glorious house. The latter is spiritual. The first is physical. The temple, the first temple, is this okay? The first temple of God was glorious because his presence was there. But before you ever became aware of the spiritual glory, you saw the physical glory because the thing was laid in gold. So what Isaiah is prophesying, there's going to come a day when the whole world collapse and there stands a people who are not only vibrant in the spirit, they're resourced in the natural. They're engaging in good works. When everything in the world collapses, I have a, I have a, I have a group of people who still engage in good works and the whole world is going to see the light of those good works and come running to them. Is this okay? Let's keep reading. Lift up your eyes round about you and see. They all gather themselves together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be carried and nursed in the arms. Then you shall see and be radiant and your heart shall thrill and tremble with joy at the glorious deliverance and be enlarged because of the abundant wealth of the Dead Sea shall be turned to you. I wonder why for years we've been afraid of even the very word wealth. Is it possible we've let the enemy taint us of the very thing we needed to win the masses? I know he did me for years. He had me such in such a state that I would I would skate all the way around the word wealth and never talk it. Some of you know that for years I wouldn't I wouldn't even use the word tithe because so many of us have been abused by it that I thought, okay, I know how I'll 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 compensate for the abuse. I'll never talk about it. But that's like I say, I know how to compensate for the disease. I withhold the medicine. Mm. A multitude of camels. Well, it's, they shall be turned to you, and unto you shall the nations come with their treasures. A multitude of camels from the eastern trading tribe shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephaph and all the men of Sheba who once came, this is just simply meaning businessmen and merchants, shall come bringing gold and frankincense and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. Then if you jump down to Isaiah 60, verse 11, and your gate shall be opened continually, they shall not be shut day or night. Why? That men may bring to you the wealth of the nations. Do y'all believe the Bible? Yes, sir. He said, you'll not even be able to shut your church doors. Why? Because at midnight, people are going to want to come and bring offerings. Yes, Why? Because they see the light of, the God, light of God on the place. Yes. And the light becomes more evident as that out there falls apart more and more and more. So this listen, when everything out there tanks, don't lose hope. This truly is our finest hour. The church is emerging to be what God has always wanted it to be. All we got to do is align ourselves with what he said. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Only be strong and very courageous. Your God will not fail you. Your God will come through. All I need you to do is believe. So when you hear the nightly news of this close, that close, this happened. You ought to turn your living room into a cathedral and do a Holy Ghost dance. Why? Because the darker it gets out there, the more the light's going to arise upon us. Only fear not. Be not afraid. Running parallel with this gross darkness is a glorious light. And let's say this together, then we're going to get into step one. 
Let's say this. I am part of a supernatural family. Do you realize who your relatives are? Moses, Isaiah, David, your eldest brother's Jesus? No, my eldest brother's Bubba. No, that's after the biological, man. I'm talking spiritual. You come from a strong spiritual family. Not everyone in your family died of cancer at 60. That's the biological side. The spiritual side, they're alive. So let's say it again. I'm part of a supernatural family. I live by supernatural means. I live a life that money can't buy. My future is bright. My future is super. All right. Now, step number one, as I told you, every step into the supernatural begins with a natural step. And these steps were I, I, I took them from David Green, who is worth ten billion dollars. He's worth ten billion. Yet the Lord told him you're living a limited life because you're trusting your ten billion. See, it's not just, you trust your 10. I remember the first time the Lord told me to give someone $100, I cried. Do you know how hard, uh, maybe you can't relate. I had never held a $100 bill. And when I held it, I was like, shalab, ba, ba, ba. And the Lord said, give it. And I was like, I rebuke you. Don't want to trust in that stuff. Step number one, make the end the beginning. Make the end the beginning. Isaiah 46, 10 says this. This is declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God declares the what? The end. From where? The beginning. God begins, listen to this, God begins with the end in mind, and he speaks his end game. This is why he can say, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, because God has never pulled off a target. Too many of us, we, we live in the moment. Just this week, I've had to deal with people making, making lifelong decisions based upon momentary inconveniences. And if we, if we treasure our comfort greater than our destiny or our calling we will always abort our destiny we've got to have the end game in mind otherwise we will get pulled off course momentarily well i don't like how this tastes i don't like how this feels begin with the end in mind god has never pulled off target and we need to be like him and begin with the end in sight now listen to this social scientists tell us that the seasons of life are marked by the questions we ask. In our 20s, we tend to ask, who will I marry? And what will my career be? In our 30s, we ask, how can I advance in my career? And how will my kids turn out? In our 40s, our questions change to, is this the job I really even wanted? And why is life so hard? In our 50s, we start to look back, for, look both forward and backward. Ask, how has it turned out so far? And what will I do of significance in the next 25 years? Questions change as we go through life. By our 60s, we ask simpler questions like, will my health hold out? When will I see my grandchildren? And by our 70s and 80s, we really start to look back and ask, was it all worth it? Will anyone remember? We might even ask, should I, could I have given more? Now, do you remember, anyone in here ever seen the movie Schindler's List? My wife and I lived right where all that took place. I've walked the streets and seen the bullet holes in the building. All the camps and things you see in that movie, we've been there. And at the end of the movie, you'll remember he was crying, and he had a ring on his finger, and he pulled off the ring, and I forget the exact amount. He, he might have been saying, I, I could have saved 100 more people. See, at the end, he was asking the questions he should have asked at the beginning. Because he had valued things that had no eternal value. Are y'all following me? Start with the end in mind. Is what I'm living for really going to matter in 100 years? Or do we want to be like Schindler and get to the end and be surrounded by treasures that are meaningless in eternity and saying, I could have saved 100 more people with this ring. 
If we want to live a supernatural life, we got to be like our Father and declare the end from the beginning. Live our life with an eternal perspective and not a momentary one. Because if we live from the moment, it's always going to be about our comfort. If we live with an eternal in-game perspective, it's about achieving, doing what the Lord birthed us to do. Is this okay? We value eternal things by valuing people. People are the treasure of eternity. God always worked his plan toward his end game because he declared the end from the beginning. He was never reactionary. Listen to this. It's nearly impossible to live a meaningful life without considering our end. What do we hope for? What do we dream of relative to our family, our children, and our king. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was able to endure the cross because of the end game. He had something set before him. You and I have got to become people of eternity. We're not living for the moment because this moment's going to pass. Well, pastor, that's old-fashioned preaching. Bro, we need some old-fashioned preaching because we have become a church that focuses on comfort. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the clue as to how Jesus remained on course. He had the end game in sight at all times. Without the end in sight, we're not likely to endure the hardships, the trials, and the troubles. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to hurry up. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves. You can still store. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Will the things I'm living for, giving my life to, be worth it 100 years from now? Step number two. These are natural steps that lead to a supernatural living. Recognize that everything is God's. Stewardship is the key to success, lasting increase. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14, David said, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you and from your hand we have given you. Verse 16 says, O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and all is yours. The truth of the matter is there ain't nothing we have that we created. Nothing. The shirt you're wearing, it didn't come from a mill. It came from a seed. Even if it's made of polyester, it came from the ground. Everything we have in life came from God. The shoes you got on, they came from Him. The socks that comfort your souls, they came from Him. The car you drive, it came from Him. Everything is His. And if we'll understand that, it makes generosity easy. Because if he gave it to us, we're just giving back to him what is his. And we're aligning ourselves for the supernatural abundance he has promised. But we got to learn, either we trust him or we trust it. And if we trust it, there's going to come a day we're disappointed. But if we trust him, we will never know a day of disappointment. Mm. Giving of yourself is easy. When you realize your skills came from him, your talents came from him, yes, your, your abundance came from him. Yes, God gave it to you. Listen to this. God gave it to you so that you could steward and serve, become his fiscal agent, his treasurer. Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Is this okay? Is this helping you? Yes, See, this is the reason why we got to have that study guide because I'm just throwing this out there and you need to be able to chew on it for a while. Luke chapter 16, verse 9 and 10. 
It is important that you use the wealth of this world to demonstrate your friendship with God. How? By winning friends and blessing others. Then, listen to this, when this world fails and falls apart, your generosity that you've already demonstrated will provide you with an eternal reward. The one who manages the little he has been given with faithfulness and integrity will be promoted and trusted with greater responsibilities. But those who cheat with the little they have been given will not be considered trustworthy to receive more. Listen to this out of Haggai chapter 2 verse 7. The Lord declares this, I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all the nations. And I will fill this house with glory. See that once again, he's interchanging wealth and glory. I ain't ain't even getting it. He said, I will shake and I will fill. I will shake and I will fill. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be shaken. I want to be filled. There's a shaking and when there's a... See, for years in the Word of Faith camp, we've heard about the wealth of the wicked being laid up for the just. The wealth of the wicked being laid up for the just. The wealth of the wicked being laid... When is the wealth of the wicked going to come to the just? When the wealth of the wicked fails. And they can't trust in it anymore. Then they come to the church and they say, look at everything I treasured. It doesn't do anything anymore. Maybe you can use it. Maybe you can do something with it. And so Haggai said, I will shake. Everyone say this. I will shake and I will fill. When there's a shaking going on, understand at the same time there's a filling going on. But whether we're shaken or filled is going to be determined by where we position ourselves. You can be shaked and baked, Thank you, Lord. or you can be filled and thrilled. Hey. <laughs> I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Then he goes on to say, listen, the silver is mine. It was never theirs. It's mine. And the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Then he says, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. Why? Because he's filling it. What's he filling it with? The wealth of the nations. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. My goodness. Step number three. Hopefully I can make it to two more steps. There's ten, but I ain't going to lay all that on you today. Step number three. Put others first. Put others before self. Culture is creeping into the church. And we got to take authority over that, and we can because the Bible says He gave us the authority to take dominion over everything that creeps. What do you mean, Pastor, that it's creeping into? You see on every billboard, just drive around the city, and on billboards and everywhere, you'll see see something along these lines. Love yourself first. Love yourself first. Love yourself first. Love yourself. Love yourself. And you hear it, if you listen, you'll hear it being preached in pulpits. But can I say to you, that's an anti-Christ message? That's not the message of Scripture. It sounds good, but it's not what Christ preached. Christ actually preached exactly the opposite. And if Christ preached the opposite, that makes that an anti-Christ message. I know it's tight, but it's... If you want to find yourself, the Bible says, if you want to find your life, the Bible says, lose it in the service of others. Yeah, don't misplace it. Like, I don't know what I do with my life. I do that with my keys all the time. Don't do that. <laughs> Listen to this. Jesus preached and lived just the opposite of that. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus answered him when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart and with all the energy of your being and with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And then he goes on, a second is equally important. Love yourself. Are you sure? Love your neighbor. Love self is nowhere even in there. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he goes on to say in another place, chapter 23, verse 11, but the greatest among you shall be your. Whoever exalts himself shall be. And whoever humbles himself shall be. 
Can you see that's love thyself first is not what Christ preached? But people will ask, well, if I lose myself in the service of others, what's going to be mine? He'll take care of you. You know, Peter asked very, he asked something very similar. He said, you know what? We've left everything for you. What are we going to get? And his response was, you're going to be blessed in this life and in the life to come. Because can I share something with you? Are y'all looking at me, listening to me? Listen, you'll never outgive God. It doesn't matter what you give. And don't, listen, I understand preachers and pastors have abused this for their own benefit. I ain't one of them. I'm not telling you to line up here and give me all of your money. When the rich young ruler came before Jesus, Jesus did not say, sell everything you have and come give it to me. He said, sell everything you have and go give it to the poor. Do something good to change your world. The rich young ruler got mad at him. Why? Because he had great riches. He had trusted in them. He said, if I get rid of all these, then who am I? What's my identity? How about servant of the living God? Are you all with me? I'm talking about how do we align ourselves? See, because how many, how, many, how many of you ever driven a car that's out of alignment? You can get what you're going, but you're going to tear the thing up getting there. I remember when I first bought my Tundra, I, I went from a little, little, little tiny Nissan truck. And then I got a Tundra and had some power. And I didn't know how the big Tundra was supposed to drive. I had to go to Michigan. I just bought the truck. And it, it, to me, it kind of felt weird. And I thought maybe it's because it's a big truck. So I leaned when I was driving. I wasn't, I was. And I drove all the way up to Michigan and I drove all the way back. And when I got back, my front tires, which had been brand new, they were bald. I mean, worse than me and you. They had nothing, no tread. I was like, this ain't right. I'd been out of alignment the whole time. See, a lot of us are living out of alignment and wondering why we're getting worn and tore. Why we get so beat up when we get to where we're going? Because we're out of alignment. We work hard and we have little. We, we save and we put it in pockets that seem to have holes in it. Just You never can have enough and you're working two jobs, three jobs. and, and you, you, you. We're living by the sweat of our brow. That was spoken to a fallen man. We're the redeemed of the Lord. We're not supposed to live by the sweat of our brow anymore. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to live by the promises of our creator who said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll give you that. Jesse, Jerry Savelle just said, we have no idea how much God wants to make us happy. Happy, happy, happy. Clap if you're happy. A few of you. He, God wants to make, God wants to give you richly all things to enjoy. He doesn't want a miserable people. He wants a happy people. So he gives us things to enjoy them. And it's not that he, he said, seek first the kingdom and all these things. The seek first the kingdom. And his righteous way of doing things. Well, what's his righteous way of doing things? Jesus said, I didn't come to get served. I came to serve. So what's the kingdom's way of doing things? Serve ye one another. And he'll add all these things unto us. Is this okay? I got to hurry up. There's too many rabbits in this place. I think when we get to our new church, I'm going to decorate it in rabbits. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. Hmm. Okay, this is in the study guide, so you can get that later. Let's keep going. Number four, remember you are blessed. Never lose sight of the fact you're blessed. Right where you are right now, you're blessed. The greatest blessings, listen to this, the greatest blessings are those which are recognized as blessings. The blessing has a purpose. The blessing upon you has a purpose. Now hear me when I say this, as the blessed 
of the Lord, the purpose of the blessing becomes your purpose. God told Abram, I'm going to bless you and make you a your purpose in life is to be a see it's a lie from the devil some of you have been told your whole life you're a burden you're a problem you're an issue like jabez you're a pain in the but that's a lie because god never called you a pain he called you a blessing he never said you were unwanted he said you're beloved so the purpose of the blessing becomes your purpose just be who you are Number five, develop a vision for generosity. Many of us have vision boards about everything, our career, our house, our car. We ought to develop a vision for generosity. Begin with the recognition and the realization that generosity is a byproduct of the born-again human spirit. I heard recently someone said, you can, you can give without love, but you can't love without giving. If we're not givers, then it's because that born-again nature is not yet taken supremacy. We're spiritual men living as carnal people. But when we learn that we are beloved and the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart, giving just flows. Then you don't got to extort from me. You don't got to tell me God's going to give my cat the mange. You've all heard that preaching. Can you give me just a few more minutes? Well, if you don't give, God's going to kill your dog. And if you don't give on Sunday, you're going to give on Monday to the mechanic. I've heard it. When I first heard it, I used to wonder, what does the mechanic got to do with God? And how is paying the mechanic to fix my transmission somehow enhancing the kingdom? But it's a threat. What's being communicated is God don't really like you. And if you don't give him his 10%, see, a lot of people, under, they, they confuse the Father God with the Godfather. And they think, if I don't give, I'm going to end up with a horse's head in my bed. No, you're listening to a horse's head. Well, I shall stop myself right there. We're not paying off an angry God. And so we develop a vision of generosity without fear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna. to. Generosity has a starting point. You don't wake up one day and poof, you're generous. You decide to start where you are. My wife can vouch for this. I never gave. I didn't give no one. When we go to a restaurant, I'd mysteriously lose my wallet. And if you waited on me, you weren't getting much of a tip. Didn't matter how good you were. Because I had a poverty mindset. Then one day she came home and she told a story about a Russian exchange student who wanted a CD. That CD was a devil CD, and back in the day it cost $20. And I about gave my wife a premature heart attack when I said, Let's go buy it. And she thought there had been an invasion of body snatchers. Because I look like her husband, I sound like her husband, but I clearly wasn't her husband. And so I took a step, a natural step. I had been studying generosity. Y'all listening to me? I'd been studying generosity. Now, there was something we'd been believing God for, and I'd been trying for years because my wife married my startling good looks and my empty pockets. <clears throat> I'd been trying to get her a piano. Couldn't get it, no matter how many Arby's hours I worked. Could not get her a piano. We sewed $20 into a CD yeah, for a Russian exchange student. And by the end of week, we received a check for $2,000. And I'm telling you from a source that had never given us a penny and never gave a penny afterward, a tightwad. We knew the person. This person was tight. And they sent us a check for 2000 And it was, correct me if I'm wrong, it was post-dated the day we sewed it was for the piano that we tried for years to get and couldn't get, but we sewed. So See, wait, 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 go on. Is it, is the CD was music, so basically we sewed music, and God gave the instrument. Oh. Yeah. Amen. The $20 and then $2,000 was just... Yeah. See, what I'm... We can position by taking a natural step. We can step into the supernatural. And I shared this with you, and I'm bringing it to a close right now. 
God wants to set each of us up for the supernatural. So he gets the credit. He gets the glory. There was a woman, there's a couple widow stories in the Bible. One, the woman, her husband was a prophet. He was a minister. He died. He left her broke. Happens a lot. She went to his employer and said, listen, my husband died. We ain't got nothing. Now they're going to come and take my kids. They're going to go to be slaves, sell off the debt. The prophet said this. She, prophet said, collect all the barrels you can, any canister that'll hold oil. <clears throat> all she had was about a half a cup. Collect every barrel you can. Out of that half a cup of oil, she poured and poured and poured and poured and poured, and I'm trying to hurry until every vessel was full. Then the prophet said this, sell, pay off your debt, live off the rest. He set her up in the oil business. Another widow was collecting sticks. She was going to use the little bit of oil she had in flour, and she was going to cook her last meal, and her and her son was going to die. The prophet said, cook for me first. And then I like what he said, and then do what you were going to do. <laughs> but cook for me first. And she did. Her oil never ran out, neither did her flour. Last story. I had a friend of mine who one year said he just had a vision for generosity. At the end of the year when they, he did his taxes, he said something just came up. That year that he had filed his taxes, they had made $50,000 total. He said, I, I want to sow as much in the coming years I made this year. He developed a vision for generosity. His vision was, I want to sow as much as I made. Don't disconnect yet. You don't want to miss this. So what he began to do was every time he had an opportunity, and he particularly wanted to do that in his local church, in his home church, every time the bucket came by, he put something in. He didn't even pay attention to how much he put in. He just every time he put something in. He didn't really pay attention to where he was going or what he was doing. He just he had a vision, goal, he kept doing it. When the end of the year came and they collected all of his numbers, he had not hit the goal. He had exceeded it. He had given almost $100,000. But his income, above and beyond the 100000 he had given, now remember, 50000 the year before, 250000 more. So the increase was from 50000 to 350000 And he looked me in the eye and he said, Jimmy, I did nothing different. He didn't go preach for T.D. Jakes. He didn't preach it. There was no one event that changed it. He just had a vision for generosity. Are you all listening to me? And he just made it his daily discipline. And he positioned himself in the supernatural. And he gave $100,000. When the year before, see, this is, I'm closing. I am. I promise you, I'm not lying. But you're not limited by your income. None of us are limited by our income. It doesn't matter whether we have great abundance or we have nothing. If we take what we have, maybe it's only two fish and five crackers. But we take it and we give it to God. God can do for us what welfare will never accomplish, what our employer will never accomplish. We can give more, do more, and live higher than we've ever lived. I knew one businessman, knew of him. He gave 90% of all of his income, and on the remaining 10, he said he lived like a king. Stand to your feet. As my spiritual father, I, I, I don't want you to discount what I'm saying. As my spiritual father used to say, I'm not preaching to get anything from you. I'm preaching to get something to you. Because no man is our source. The resurrected one is our source. So let's just lift our hands and we're going to pray very simply and then I'll dismiss you. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I make a decision to trust you 
at a higher level than I've ever trusted you before. I will no longer resist the opportunities to do good. I'll enter into. I'll engage in good works. I'll make it my life mission to bless as many as I can, as often as I can, wherever I can. And I will believe that my supply, which comes from your glory, will never run out, that I'll never be able to outgive you. In Jesus' name, I make a declaration. My light, which is determined by my good works, is going to shine so bright the enemy of life won't even be able to look my way because I'll be blinding with the glory of God. In Jesus' name, I declare it because I believe it, so I say it in His name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise.